0: Welcome to another Saxon Insurance Brokers podcast. Today, Charlie and I are gonna be talking all things collectibles and what's been going on in the markets and what sort of things we get up to here at Saxon Insurance Brokers. Charlie, talk to me about the activity that you've got noted and mm. the research that we've done. What's been happening in this rather strange moment of the pandemic and throughout COVID and Weirdly, the markets have been booming.
1: Mm. Yeah, even though this year has been quite a interesting one with regards to you know the various restrictions going on in the world, the art market has sort of adapted, mm. and a lot of the auctions have moved to online auctions. Yep. Yep. And it's boomed. I think. Mm. I think people have been had the time to you know um, look at the market, examine it, find out where they want to invest, and they've had the time to invest their money rather than being bogged down with you know. Uh, traveling around the whole time, being yeah. in places all over the world, they've able to they're they're at home, so they've mm-hmm. got the time to mm-hmm. to sort of examine the market. Um, I mean, there's been some huge painting, or huge pieces of art sold in June. There was a piece sold for eighty four million dollars, the Francis Bacon. Wow. Um, July there was one sold for uh, forty six million dollars. Incredible. October there was a seventy six million dollar sold, and December there was a forty one million dollar David Hockney sold.
0: So people are not holding back, no, the market up. is, uh, well, the top-end market is mm. certainly booming and I think we know that even the Banksy market which is not yep. in that league is, is certainly booming as well and I, I think a lot of people have been a bit bored mm. and if they've got money they've been spending it yeah. and also perhaps the, the, the pandemic has made people realise that you don't live forever and if you've no. got money, you can spend it and enjoy it, and you don't know what's round the corner. I yeah. think a, a lot of people have been uh, uh, ha- had that um, yeah, realization this
1: mm. yeah, this year. Yeah, it's been really diverse as well. You know, obviously, there's been the Banksies. You know, there was a piece, uh, there was a, a piece of his not long ago that turned up in Nottingham. Um, yeah. You know, which kept you know keeps it all afloat because mm. there's there's constantly things moving around, mm-hmm. pieces coming up all over the place. Yeah. Um, and you know, there was one of his pieces. I've got it noted here. The show me the money one, mm-hmm. um, it was expected to go for sort of uh, five million I think at auction and yeah. it ended up going for another two million on top of what it was expected for so yeah. about seven and a half million yeah, wow. um, which wow. is which is crazy you know the demand is still there yeah. for pieces to buy art and then yeah. on the diverse side of things there was the T-Rex the fossil oh, yeah. that was sold for about 30 million
0: um, yeah. back in earlier in the year which yeah. is crazy. I loved that we, we put a post on our mm. socials about that because I thought that's incredible. That's just so different. Mm. I would love to see where that T Rex is right now yeah. in someone's yeah. grand yeah. you know All entrance way, horn yeah. or something. You know, you walk in the house and <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> there's a T Rex in front yeah. of you. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. I think that is why the art and the collectibles market, last podcast we spoke about mm. classic cars and the market values and things, they could just continuously go up because generally if they're not prints, if they're one-offs or masterpieces, or even something incredible like the T-Rex uh, skeleton, then they're one-offs and they can't be replaced. Mm-hmm. So the values of them will just keep going one
1: yeah. way, and that's up. I think it's important as well because you know when when people think about fine art or collectibles, they just think about you know like a Mona Lisa for example, mm-hmm. or just a really modern piece of art, but mm-hmm the fossils are included in that. And you know, it's so diverse, the art market and the collectibles' yeah. art market, it accounts for so many different pieces from so many different backgrounds, you know, things from hundreds of thousands of years yeah. ago up to things from yeah. two days ago. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's incredible how it's still alive, um, it's still like floating, mm. and people are able to, you know, get every piece of this T-Rex back together, yeah. make it a fossil and then put it to auction. For I watched forever. the, um,
0: yes, I watched the, the rebuilding of it for when they were going mm. to actually uh, display it for the auction, and I think it was a time lapse. It was really cool how they put it all yeah. together and how they actually lay it out on the on the ground or on the floor before, and they obviously transport it in in a certain way mm. and then construct it from you know t- picking the pieces up, putting all and, together. Yeah, and it, it was just uh, this big wire frame that runs through the center of it, and they all attach to it. and yeah. it was. Um, yeah, it was that was incredible to see. I um I
1: wonder how long that took them to put that all together.
0: Dunno, I'd say a good couple of hours at least. Yeah. You know, and and uh, yeah, like I said, I'd love to see where that is now. Yeah, it um, it'd be really interesting, wouldn't it? What about insurance for these things? Because we actually get an awful lot of inquiries for single pieces, don't we? Mm. And I would say that it's a bit of a strange one because You've either got a customer who insures all of their art, and they're not really interested in, you know, moving or having mm-hmm. separate policies elsewhere. But we seem to get in quite a lot of inquiries for people that might have a collection of art insured already, but then there's this huge value item that might be, you know, somewhere in, in the depths of Italy, and um, you know, it's very well known, and, and they want to either sell it or move it. And, mm-hmm. Uh, that the the existing insurer gets a bit a bit twitchy with it, and you know they they don't really want to insure it while it's not moving or mm-hmm. or sorry while it is moving or when it's out of the uh, safe vault or storage, and then all these complications come, don't they? That customers don't really understand mm. with the insurance because high value items weirdly are very very hard to insure. Yeah. Now you would have thought you know that most people would be, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll ensure that, you know, underwriters throwing their hands up at everything. But actually when you look at the aggregates of what they might insure in any one location and it adds up, then they, they end up in a bit of a, a, a difficult situation having to say no to items. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we we've got a situation where actually we can only insure collections and if the collection is spread over multiple locations, then that's what we're looking for mm. rather than the single pieces. And mm-hmm we regularly turn down high value items unfortunately because they're not part of that collection yeah. or, or a collection that we hold mm-hmm. and uh, i think most insurance brokers in the collectible world will um, will appreciate that yeah
1: and you know these these pieces that some of the, some of the people have are incredibly desirable and you know auction uh, museums want them galleries want them to be on display so yeah. people want to have the flexibility of their policy to be able to have it in storage. Maybe take it out for a month to go on show, or for a viewing somewhere uh, mm. at a museum. Maybe it's not even in the country that the piece is normally in. They've got to fly it over to London, yeah. for example, fly it over to America maybe for an art show. Mm-hmm. Um, so people need the flexibility in their policies. Yeah. So, but fortunately, with the with the uh, insurers that we use, mm-hmm. they're all very um, accommodating, aren't they? Yeah. And and you know they're happy to um, allow pieces to be moved around and yeah, things like that.
0: It's just a case of understanding the risk you know what we do as brokers is actually put our underwriting hat on Mm. and educate a customer and the customer needs to see things from an underwriter's perspective so if there's one item that's being flown from here to there and it's quite high value and high risk you know all all these claims seem to happen during transit Mm. Um, so you it's a, just an education process for us and yeah. for an insurance policy that insures many, many items, which obviously we, we do a lot of over multiple locations. All we do is we understand the risk, as in all the security and everything that's related to, to where that item is. and. Um, you know we, we want it to be part of that big collection mm. and they can move them around and we just simply note the the address and location on their schedule and it just forms another location so mm. it's quite normal for us as you know to have multiple locations of where all these yeah. fine art items are. And and multiple items listed in the policy you know people, oh, yeah. people buy art the whole time they're
1: constantly adding to collections because yeah. they're like a classic car, it's an investment. At the yeah. end of the day, a piece of fine art mm-hmm. that is incredibly desirable or is very renowned and goes up for an auction and mm-hmm. you buy it, you should buy it with the intention of it going up in value, which yeah. it most likely will. Yeah. So people always are buying new pieces. You know, yeah. fortunately our clients, um, they're, they're huge art. Um, they've got loads of collectors, experience yeah. and, coll- and they're collectors mm-hmm. and they love it. Which is, which is great as well because we get to see some of the most incredible piece of art.
0: And the beauty with some of the policies that we have is there's this acquisition cover mm. which actually affords the customer to go and buy some items without immediately having to tell us, so if they bought one from a big auction house it's covered straight away as part of yeah. the, the policy, yeah. rather than having to you know, tell us immediately when that hammer falls and if they own the item effectively. Mm. So. Um, there's loads of lifestyle type benefits to the policies that we do. And yeah. that's the beauty of us having, You know, we work with the, only the best insurers in, mm. in the world. And then uh, that education process that we were just talking about, is, is part, part of it is telling the customers that, that you can't go and buy better insurance than this and you own such high value items, why would you ever want to not have the very best? You've got the very best in the rest of your yeah. life so why would you skip on insurance so it's a, it's a constant educating process with, mm. with customers and understanding what they need and how we can help them and I love that part of the job I think it's such yeah, a great challenge that we have and once you get over that education process customers really really buy into what you do and, mm. and you know they understand things a lot better when you, you're on the same page Uh, we've we've all got customers all our brokers or brokers have customers that really work against you but we're very lucky that nearly all of our customers work with us on situations like that and uh, you know they're open to discussions I think
1: it's trust as well you know they trust us to act on their behalf you know we're acting with their intentions at the end of the day yeah so you know we're only gonna if they've got the best piece of art they should have the best insurance for that. There should be no like differentiation between having an incredible piece of art but not having the best insurance to cover it. Yeah. You know, if you if you're investing in the art, you should be investing in the insurance as well. Totally. At the end of the day, yeah, that's what it comes down to.
0: I totally agree because it, if something tragic was to happen and those items were to, uh, you know, end up destroyed from fire or flood or something, then. You do not want to be quibbling with a broker and an insurer who is not understanding or hasn't understood the risk, and is looking for way out of paying claims rather or way out rather than ways to pay claims. Mm. And I really do feel that that is the beauty of the high net worth market that we operate in: is that we work with customers that sorry we work with insurers that want to pay claims. That might sound weird, but they're there yeah. to help and yeah. hold their reputation at the highest level rather than a lot of people when they come to buy insurance, they constantly think it's not worth the paper it's written yeah. on and when I claim you're not gonna pay me anyway so why should I bother? And luckily with educated high net worth customers, they understand where we are with those things and they know that that's not the market they're in, we're in a much different market <coughs> and insurance as a whole has a stigma attached to it like that, but it has so many sectors and so many phases through it yeah. that at the end of it, if you're at that top level, you really do get top level everything. Mm. Service, claims, payments, underwriting, yeah. visits from the highest qualified surveyors, risk management, and mm-hmm. all things like that, which add, adds huge value to you as a customer when operating with a broker mm-hmm. like us. It opens a
1: lot of doors at the end of the day. You know, you get you get the access to the best valuers that you could possibly get through yeah. us or through the insurers mm-hmm. and it just it overall makes it just gives you peace of mind yeah because you know on hand that you've got people who will come and assess the piece or we will come come and visit you yeah. to discuss any requirements that you need yeah. it's just gonna, not going to be at the end of the phone you know mm. obviously it's, it's, at the moment it's a bit difficult mm. but as things start to return back to normal we're going to be traveling a lot more we are. we're going to be meeting all of our clients that we haven't been able to meet for the last couple of months mm. catching up with them mm. making contact with them it's just touching base with people yeah exactly. and it's just keeping that uh, keeping the trust because yeah. You know, we want them to know that we're working our best to yeah. make sure that their assets are covered exactly as, be- as best as best they could be by yeah. the best policies. Mm-hmm. So, any change in the market, things that mm-hmm. you know, we're always going to be updating them. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the art market itself is now worth about sixty four billion dollars. Wow! Um, which is pretty, and but by twenty twenty four, I've got it noted here, the online art sales uh. are expected to amass to nine. Really, and I think that's a big testament Mm. to the pandemic that we're going through at the moment. Mm. You know, the shift. Maybe people are going to start using online sales more, Mm. more than. um, I would say more than going into an auction house because people are still going to be nervous in in the years to come. I think.
0: Yeah, and you think how a a normal auction would operate. You've got the auctioneer, you've got a screen, and you've got a whole crowd of Mm. people behind, and even sometimes people standing on the sides and journalists and you know high bidders and other people that are interested in it from the markets and there's just a lot of people in one room which is is actually one of the most incredible scenarios you can ever be in Mm. because to watch high value items go over the block as they say that it's just amazing to watch because of the atmosphere that it creates and it's such a shame because you're actually not going to get that Mm. now for a long time. But great stats—nine, over nine billion for online sales yeah. in the next four years, I so, think that's or really three cool. years really. So, yeah, that—that's uh, how's that going to work for us? I mean, I guess <laughs> we'll just be here at the end of the phone yeah. when customers are buying art, yeah. and they're just doing it from the comfort of their home and mm-hmm. and iPads or computers, and that's it. I, think, I don't think much will change for us actually. Maybe they'll be more frequent, yeah, because we we do have customers con- consistently sending us. Uh, invoices from piece, pieces they've bought online mm. whether that's watches or or you know high value paintings and things and perhaps with all these auction houses rather than having to set up such a huge uh, you know, marquee or, or in a room or you know there's a lot of logistics that go into mm. that that might must take ages for just one or two days of auctions mm. whereas now they could just probably host it in one room at their office or somewhere like that mm. and they could make make them every week if they wanted to yeah, they probably won't but um, perhaps monthly rather than quarterly or, yeah. or, or or once a year
1: i think if the art's there people are still going to want to buy it regardless if it's online or yeah. in person you know maybe they've maybe a lot of the pieces that've been sold people have seen them before and when they go online they know what they look like they mm. you know they they know what it looks like when they're mm. standing in front of it in person mm. so mm. they've got an understanding of it and obviously there's all the things of Virtual
0: viewings now. I was gonna, I was gonna say that, like uh, augmented reality, Mm. because we were talking about this yesterday in the office, weren't we? Where you could, you know, if if things are online now, actually maybe that's better because you can see a piece in its dimensions, and maybe you know you fire up your phone and you can actually hold it. You know, pre-auction, obviously Mm. you can hold your iPad or phone against the wall where you might. Yeah. have that piece and go oh well, no it doesn't work there but then you go to the dining room and it works really well there so um you know i think that's that could could open up quite a few yeah, yeah,
1: massively and you know it's great to see that the these sort of traditional auction houses um have adapted yeah you know, throughout this time and they've yeah. still been able to sort of thrive mm. throughout and mm. that keeps the market afloat i mm. guess at the end of the day because you know sometimes people think that these traditional um, you know, lines of work are very sort of stuck in their boots and yeah. that. But but people are disrupting it. Yeah. At the
0: end of the day, people they've are... got to adapt. They will adapt. They're big enough. They earn lots of commission these houses, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so they can afford to adapt. And so it'd be really interesting to see how it comes on, especially with cars, because mm. a car you're not going to hold up against the no. wall, or no. maybe walk into the garage see the if it looks good in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Anyway, that, that's um, that's that's interesting point. Uh, I think we'll wrap it up there Charlie, mm. that's been a really interesting chat, obviously there's a very big market out there for for collectibles, art especially, and obviously we insure jewellery and lots of yep. other collectible things, um, all on bespoke policies, they don't have to be on household policies, mm. or they could be if, if that's the client's preference. Um, so yeah, thanks very much for tuning in for another episode with Saxon Insurance Brokers, I hope you enjoyed our little chat, And uh, if you've got any suggestions for us or if if there's anyone out there that would like to be a guest on our show, then please get in touch. Thanks a lot.